and welcome to the Happy Dog Podcast. Today we are answering some of our listeners' questions. So we are talking everything from travelling in a car, to picking a doggy daycare or dog walker, to stealing things for attention. So hopefully this will help you and your dogs um, with their training and their behaviour. I hope you enjoy. over here so um there has been i appreciate a few weeks where i've not managed to put anything out so today what i thought we would do is go through some question and answers so on my instagram page which is pooches.galore i um put out a request a plea if you would for um some ideas for podcasts ideas questions um anything like that and i've had loads so there are a few quite big topics in the in the questions that I got asked. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do separate podcasts on those topics individually because um, I try to keep these. I know some of them have got a bit more towards the hour, but maybe about 40 minutes or so. And some of these topics all by themselves are going to get way over that time. So if you ask me a question, you sent a response through and you're not getting it answered today, then don't worry, it's coming. Um, I'm going to do, I'm going to get back on it, um, get back out releasing episodes. So I'll do specific episodes on those topics. So, well, where do we start? Okay, so one of the questions I got asked quite a lot was how to find a good daycare, dog walker, um, kind of pet sitting type service. Now, for me, there are loads of options out there. I used to be a dog walker a long time ago. Um, so I kind of feel like I've got a good insight into what you should be looking for um, and what you should be avoiding as well. So it's not just kind of gut feel, which I think is really important, but there are some basics that I would expect any dog walker, daycare provider to have. The first one is insurance. Now I know that that goes without saying, but you would be amazed as to how many dog services aren't insured. So, ask to see. I was always amazed when I was a dog walker that nobody nobody ever asked to see stuff like this. So I went with this beautiful folder. I thought it was beautiful. This beautiful folder full of um, all of my certificates, my insurance and everything. And I'd go with it kind of tucked in under my arm, ready to show off to everyone. And, and then they, they would never ask to see it. So I kind of forced it under their nose and was like, look at this. Like, this is the standard, I think, that people should be working towards. So insurance. And what are they insured for? Care and custody? Are they insured if your dog gets injured in their care? Are they insured if they come into your house and break a lamp on the way in? Would their insurance pay for that lamp to be replaced? So what is that insurance covering as well? I also think a... DBS check, so some kind of criminal record check is essential. They're not that easy to come by sometimes, but you can get them. So make sure that they've been checked, that you're not handing your dog over to somebody who might have a history, um, an 
a history of animal abuse I mean obviously people make mistakes along the way and it doesn't make them not be able to care for a dog but if they you know have a history of robbery you don't necessarily want to be giving them a key to your house so just bear that in mind as well I also think and I wouldn't employ anyone who didn't first aid canine first aid is is a must I would be concerned if you've got a walker out with potentially up to six dogs one of them gets injured and they don't know what to do in that situation. So definitely having canine first aid, a practical one. There are some brilliant online stuff, especially over the pandemic, which is great for topping up skills. But as for, um, you know, learning how to bandage an ear or a tail or a foot, which are quite tricky to do, um, To I mean, to do professionally, I could never do that. But I can definitely get a bandage to hold on to a dog's foot or... Um, an ear or a tail or something just to get them back to the car back to the vets so definitely making sure that they've got that and then what do they know about dog behavior dog body language can they tell if a dog is anxious fearful frustrated excited because they are going to have multiple dogs all having to get on with one another so are they able to manage that and be able to read that body language effectively so that they can um predict if anything if there's going to be any fallouts or anyone's going to have a disagreement over stuff then what i would like to know is what do they do on their walks with their dogs are they walking which is what we want or are they ball chuckers which is fine in short bursts but it's not what i want the dogs to be doing the whole way around where do they go uh, what kind of things do they do on their walks um secure fields are fine as a as the odd time but for me it's not what I'm employing a dog walker for so I want them to be out in the countryside in the fields with water being able to walk and swim and mess around um safely so where, where do they walk I'd also be checking out their social media I know they won't all have it but they the majority will so what do they do what's on their social media what 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 does it look like? Does it look like something you want to be doing or somewhere that you want your dog to be? Um, and then it comes down to gut feel. How were they when you met them? What were they like with your dog? How did they greet them? Did they ignore them? Were they over the top with them? Um, if you asked the dog not to jump up, did they listen and go with that? So that's my next thing. And then probably finally, although I might think of something else, um, it's what's the transportation like what does their generally it's a van nowadays what does their van look like how's it kitted out does it have aircon does it have a vent in it um do they have a facility for drying off the dog or showering off the dog um all of those things is it comfortable is it safe do dogs travel on the front seat i'm not a fan of that i have to say uh, if it's my dog traveling on my front seat that's a decision i have made about my dog would I want my dog to travel on the front seat of another car? No. Is it legal? I don't think so. So that's something I would keep an eye on as well. Um, does it look comfortable? Does it look safe? Have they got access to water in the van? That kind of thing. Really important. Is it clean? Appreciate that dog walking vans are not going to be, you know, your limousine level of cleanliness. But is it is it generally clean? Does it look like it's had a washout recently? So that's what I would be looking for. If it's a daycare centre or a kennels, can I come and have a look round? Do I need to book an appointment? Um, and then what does it smell like? What does it sound like? I mean, they'll be noisy, but are they excessively? What's the, Especially with daycare centres, what's the toileting policy? Where do they go? How often do they go out? 
Um, how many dogs do you have here? Do they have chill out zones? Can they go to sleep? Because I get that people say, oh, they go to daycare all day and it's brilliant. And they're exhausted when they come home and they should be, but they also should have been sleeping in that daycare setting as well or had the opportunity to go and have a sleep. Um, and then with kennels, it's more about um, like, what's the exercise like? I much prefer singular exercise um, places where they can go out on their own and um, not be in massive groups of dogs. So that's what I would be looking for. Um, I know there are sites such as Borrow My Doggy. They're not something I know too much about. It's not something I would do for my dogs, but that doesn't mean to say that that they're no good. Um, I just need to be really careful about those. So those are my top tips um, on how to pick a good um, dog walker or daycare. Okay, so our next question is, um, our dog has started stealing shoes again. She's three years old. And this only started when I removed the shoe rack. So now any shoe seems fair game um, and nothing, and it, no, no other changes, but it seems to be for attention. So, um, perhaps the shoe rack you'd kind of taught that when the puppy was younger that the shoe rack was off limits so shoes on the shoe rack off limits shoes elsewhere uh, fair game and so now the shoe rack has gone the dog is very much um like oh all shoes are fair game so either you're going to bring the shoe rack back solve the problem that way or you're going to walk away every time the dog picks a shoe up. So as long as they're not going to chew them or destroy them, you can um, just walk off every single time um, she picks up a shoe so that you're not giving her that attention that she's so desperately craving um, whenever she gets a shoe. Because they do learn, don't they, that if they do certain things, then that's brilliant, that gets them loads of attention. So the more that they learn that that's the case the more they're going to do it and you get into this vicious cycle of um i know i shouldn't have this shoe but if i get the shoe then you're going to give me a treat for giving up the shoe and so i'll go get a shoe because if i get a shoe then i get a treat and i really want a treat so what we want to do is go oh, you've got a shoe i'm going to walk off and make a cup of tea so that the dog's like oh that's not what i was expecting so instead of them changing their behavior we change our behavior in response to their behaviour and that way we're going to get a different response from them. Do they bring you the shoe? I would just keep ignoring it unless they're really going to chew and cause damage to that shoe. I would just try and ignore it and then when they pick something up that was more appropriate that's when I would be like brilliant that's great that's what I wanted. I wanted that toy or that ball or that whatever it is. And that way we're going to get her to learn that those are the things that get attention rather than picking up the things that we don't want them to have. I think it's a really common one, especially with puppies as well, because they pick everything up, explore everything with their mouth, which which our babies do as well. Human babies do that as well. They put everything in their mouth. Can I eat it? No. So I'll not do that again. And what we can often fall into the trap with, with our puppies, is learning that actually picking stuff up is a really rewarding behaviour, either because we chase them, which they love, they get rewards, which they love, um, or they get the thing, which is just brilliant. So what you really want to be working on is, if it's safe, is not getting too involved in this kind of, oh, I've got to get the item off the dog all of the time, and instead looking more at, um, what can I do? How can I set the environment, uh, environment up instead? How can I set that up differently? to avoid that happening. So is it that the dog always seals the remote control? 
And obviously remote control is expensive to replace and so that's difficult. So you get see that they've got the remote control and then you panic because they've got the remote control and then you do everything that you possibly can to get that remote control off the puppy. And in the puppy's brain, they're going, ah, ha, 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 I've learnt the way to get all of the attention and all of the treats I have ever wanted just by picking up this black plastic thing, which I don't really care about because it's not that great. And then we get into this vicious cycle. And instead, a lot of the time with that, the, sim the absolute simplest way to deal with that is to put those remote controls higher on the fireplace, on a shelf, out of the way so the puppy can't get them. So they're not learning this cycle of, if I get that, I get lots of attention. And that's what we really want to be doing when we're looking at what dogs are doing to get our attention, is how can we set that environment up differently so that we get the behaviours that we want from the puppies that we can then really actively reward because we want to see them more and more and more and more. Um, the same for thing, picking things up outside. I had a case... Um, Last we must have been in it was a Zoom call, so it must have been last year. And um the the dog, it wasn't a puppy, it was a dog, had become obsessed with full full poo bags on walks and would pick them up and try and ingest it, which dogs eating poo from a human point of view, we think that's quite disgusting at the best of times, but the poo bag really added a different dimension to the situation. And when we looked into the problem, a lot of what it was was because the owners were so worried about the, the dog ingesting this that there was a lot of attention given for that behavior so we just switched everything around a little bit and that really did help to um undo a lot of that attention seeking behavior from picking that up and i have to agree i think i would have done anything and everything to try and prevent my dogs from um picking that up and ingesting it because it's it's was definitely not pleasant but it, it's an easy trap to fall into so what we did in that case was we were rewarding really heavily probably more so than we would have done normally for not picking up poo bags so not waiting until the dog had picked it up but instead going oh there's a poo bag there if you look at that come back to me i'm going to really hammer home that that um reward because that's a much better outcome for me is that you look at a poo bag and move on i think really with that case the best outcome is if everyone who could just pick their poo up put it in a bag and then i don't know put that bag in a bin that would really help the environment and as well as this dog so that's a, a real learning curve like not leaving those poo bags around with poo in um because that's that's not helpful guys um i think we'll all agree all agree on that one so definitely looking into the motivation behind these behaviours, and if it is attention, can we work out an alternative for that? Okay, so other questions. Why would a dog suddenly stop weeing in their own garden? Now, this one's a bit of a, a trickier one, um, in as much as there could be loads of reasons, or no reason at all, really, for this one. So the reasons that I could come up with off the top of my head would be along the lines of were they frightened in the garden when they were having a wee and so they kind of um associated that that kind of uh firework going off or thunder or something happening when the when they were going to the toilet and so they now are like oh it's a bit scary to go in the garden so i'll go somewhere else because it's not scary um it could be um foxes going through the garden leaving scents that the dog doesn't feel confident toileting over the top of 
Um, it could be that toileting outside of the garden is more reinforcing. So it could be that marking over the top of other dogs' scent is more rewarding than marking over the top of their own scent. And so they want to go out and about. Is it that they p- prefer certain substrates to go on? So do they prefer to go on grass or do they prefer to go on um, paving slabs or um, on on the paths, on the verges? And so actually they've just decided that they can hold it and wait to go outside um, of the garden. Sometimes it's just how we train them. So if it's a younger dog, have we... So sometimes what we have with young pups is that we work really hard getting them to go to the toilet in the garden so we'll really really reward that and that sometimes gets dogs stuck just going in the garden which is a real conundrum so then what we do is we really reward them for going outside of the garden and then they go oh I won't toilet in the garden anymore I'll just toilet outside because it's more reinforcing and so we end up again in a bit of a pickle with that um but if but it could just be that the dog's made a choice or um is just not happy going in the garden and we'll never really know why because dogs are mysterious creatures sometimes um but if there's nothing obvious to tie the two things together then that that could be the reason um often it comes down to scent i think as humans our sense of smell is appalling and so we it's not the first place we look for reasons because we think oh there's no there's no change in smell but from a dog's point of view there's loads of changes in smell um in the scent in the air in the chemicals that they smell and that really does have an impact on their behavior so it's definitely something that we need to constantly bear in mind when we're thinking about behavior change and what what could have caused it could it have been that there's a, a a mouse or I don't say because they're probably going to listen a rat or something that's making the garden smell different or is it a fox passing through or something like that that's really changing the um, scent in that garden and making it so that the dog doesn't feel quite so confident to go to the toilet in that environment but yeah I often think if it's not something obvious is it a scent and that goes for a million different things um, rather than just not toileting in the garden um because i think we're pretty rubbish at thinking that <laughs> and i often have to stop myself and think oh is it scent is it scent could it be scent um okay so the pup pants only in the car on the motorway but um no motion sickness at any other time well that's an odd one isn't it normally the motorway is a better place because it's so straight and smooth um i wonder if it's going in the going on the motorway means that they're in the car for a long time and so it builds up so generally you do shorter trips around the area day to day and then it's those longer trips when the pup gets a little bit more worried or gets too warm i would also look at where they are is it that they get too warm um is it that their bed's too almost too comfortable so it's a bit it makes them too warm in the boot i'm i'm never sure how much my aircon reaches back there um is it that they've learned that going on that kind of long smooth road means something so is it that going on the motorway means that they're going to meet their best friend or stay somewhere or go to the beach or something like that so they get excited because they know that when it's a long smooth straight road um that that is an exciting road to be on because it leads to exciting places or vice versa that being on the motorway means that they're going somewhere that they don't really like like the vets and so that's quite stressful so I'd really be looking at kind of when you go 
on these motorway trips? Where? Where are you going? And would that affect the dog's behaviour in any way? Um, because that's definitely something that I would consider. Is it that they get too warm? Um, and then I'd overcome it by um, some kind of stuffed frozen Kong or something like that. So it would really depend on are they getting overexcited or are they worried? Um, either which way, I would be looking at um, calming them down. So chews, licky mats, frozen Kongs, that kind of thing that really encourage that restful period, restfulness. Um, of a dog to try and help them feel a bit more comfortable and I maybe try and get them going on the motorway a little bit more now this is obviously depending on where you are easier said than done but if you can get on the motorway randomly as part of another journey and just spend some more, a bit more time on it because I don't drive on motorways very often especially at the moment I mean if I leave Harrogate it's some kind of miracle at the minute um, but just adding a little loop of a motorway on if possible if it's something that's close by to just try and get the dogs used to being on it when they're just going on a normal walk or on it just as part of a errand run that you're doing so it doesn't become a, a thing it's just normal um it doesn't even need to be a, a motorway i was just thinking in harrogate we've got like a bypass which is fairly so is it 60 miles an hour and straight so you could even just that kind of driving the dog won't know the difference between a, a bypass and a motorway i'm not sure half the drivers in harrogate know the difference between a bypass and a motorway let alone um a dog but just trying to incorporate that driving style a little bit more um would would be really helpful um to get them used to it because i think sometimes like my dogs don't go on the motorway that often so they uh they're probably not quite that not that used to going on it um okay so those are the main questions that i had that weren't the big ones so the big ones are separation anxiety which i'll do next and um adolescence which um is a huge topic um which i will go into in a bit more detail and try and explain to you why adolescence is such a challenging time for a lot of dogs because um i think with adolescence what happens is that we get through puppyhood and we think we've nailed it we've got it they're coming back they're walking on the lead we can take them places and we kind of take our foot off the pedal a little bit and then what happens is um, adolescence comes along and kind of kicks us back into touch with quite a challenging dog who is a lot more confident than a puppy who pushes the boundaries that you think you've instilled and can cause a lot more problems down the line um, because they're a big dog with more confidence and I think that a lot of people are not prepared for adolescence as they are for puppyhood. Um, so we'll go into that again in more detail and we can explain how to survive it basically, how to get through it in a really positive way, um, when it is, what it is, all of that. That is no problem at all. So I hope you've enjoyed today. It's a bit different going through some questions and some different questions as well. So that's really nice um, and a bit unusual. Um, and I will be back soon with an episode on separation anxiety. So I hope you join us for that. Look after yourselves. Mm -hmm.